0: Hi folks, my name is Chris and I'm the artist and co-founder at Explorer Maps.
1: Hi, this is Vanessa, Chris's wife. I have been a number one fan of Chris's art since I first met him in the late 1990s. Which map will you get to help you treasure your own special times? Please be sure to use the promo code Mandela for a discount when you visit explorermaps.com.
0: Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure radio series and podcast dedicated to collecting stories and sounds from around the world in order to take you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. This episode was recorded on location in collaboration with Explorer Maps. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of adventure from both near and far as well as information and inspiration, and a few tunes to set the mood. You can subscribe to the podcast and learn about our international outreach projects at TraillessTravel.net. And now, here's your host, international expedition guide, conservationist, and yogi, Mandela. This is
2: Nathan Varley, Yellowstone Wolf Tracker. We are in Yellowstone National Park. We're going to take a hike in January, which normally you would do a snowshoe or a ski or something like that, but we've had such a dry, warm winter so far that we're able to just do regular hiking. And my hiking companions, of course Mandela and... Leo Leckie, and we're going to ask him about his evolution as a educator, somebody that's been a lifelong lover of Yellowstone and advocate for its resources and a great educator along the way. So we're going to start walking and talk as we go. So Leo, when did you first come to Yellowstone?
3: Boy, let's see. I first came to Yellowstone back in... The late 90s, I had moved to Salt Lake City from my home state of Wisconsin. Was working at a car wash in Wisconsin, in Madison, and hopped on a Greyhound bus. My buddy told me that there was an opportunity at a ski resort, and having never put my feet in bindings before, I decided I would uh, take a little adventure and head to Utah. Ended up, after a couple seasons, at Alta Ski Resort, down in Salt Lake City. Decided to go to school at the University of Utah and ended up working at the University of Utah for the next 25 years in diversity and equity and administration for the University of Utah. And it was while I was in Salt Lake City that I first started hearing about Yellowstone National Park and Glacier National Park. I've always loved wildlife all my life. I was instilled with a love of nature from a very young age by my dad and his best friend who was a close family member we called Uncle Huey. And the two of them used to take us adventuring in the same places that Aldo Leopold and John Muir explored in Wisconsin. So this love of nature it kind of, it I continued on. And um, I, uh, I started hearing about this place called Yellowstone and the amazing diversity and array of wildlife that existed here, like no other place in North America. And I had to come and see. And so I started taking annual adventures and I would backpack in Yellowstone and Glacier each year about three or four times a year and started having some incredible experiences. One of them that was really memorable and I was lucky to come out alive from was my first encounter with a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park. Oh
2: yeah, tell us about that.
3: My brother and I were backcountry camping, and we were relatively newbies at it. I personally committed a number of mistakes that we shouldn't have done that got us into a little bit of a problematic situation with the grizzly bear. We were camping Cascade Lakes area up by Canyon. We were at Grebe Lake, shoreline of Grebe Lake, and it was early, early, morning hours and i heard a mother and calf elk exchanging calls and it was you know it was zero dark 30 out there pretty dark and i nudged my brother awake and i said do you hear that we need to go out and explore and find out you know what's going on with these elk exchanging calls
2: right yeah investigate further
3: it was then that i made my first mistake okay uh, which was leaving my bear spray in the tent oh okay. as we awesome. were going out and the second mistake was to skulk through the brush and the trees silently as we were trying to obviously you know sneak up on the animals <laughs> oh, making no. these sounds no. well we kept going and got to a ridge line <laughs> up above Greve Lake. And Greve Lake and Observation Peak, which is kind of this general area, is known for its grizzly bear activity. Yes. And we got to this ridge line and all of a sudden I heard a large branch break. And I grabbed my brother by the arm and I said, did you hear that? That was probably an elk that's probably gonna come in right below us. <laughs> and instead it was a grizzly bear who was coming down earnestly through the tall grass, nose straight in the air, sniffing for sign, because, you know, grizzly bears and that sense of smell that they have, incredible. It was then that I made my third mistake of the adventure, which was, I didn't run, but, after uttering a couple expletives, I started walking away at a brisk pace. And my brother was right behind me. Well, the bear saw us, and the bear charged oh. and started charging right for us. Whoa. And it was in those moments, it was incredible. I still remember the bear coming, you know, like the prow of a ship through the grass straight towards oh. us. And You know, we had literally seconds to decide because this bear is moving, you know, 30, 35 miles an hour, even though he's coming up a hill towards (laughs) us. It was at that moment that I remembered I had read Stephen Herrero's Bear Attacks, Their Causes and Consequences. And uh, so I retained some of that. And it was in that moment that I utilized some of that reading that I did. And I told my brother to get behind me And the bear came up and I met the bear's charge until literally this grizzly bear was as close as you and I, Nathan. Probably about three feet apart. Just three feet apart. Yep, stopped in front of me, three feet in front of me. And it was, uh, my adrenaline was running like crazy. And the bear stopped and paused, wasn't sure what to do with this situation. So it was in that moment that the bear did something really interesting. He, he was assessing the situation. It was a young, now I know it was a young subadult.
2: adult Okay. So uh, this, yeah, yeah okay. pretty, pretty a good size. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Before he got down right in front of me, he stood up on his hind legs to assess the situation. He was definitely, even though he was a sub-adult, <laughs> he was a big bear. Yeah. And got down on all fours on this log that was like right in front of me. And with his free forepaw, he started reaching out toward me with his paw. And in this moment, the only thing I could think to react to, you know, it's they tell you to speak in monotones and not to yell at a bear and not to speak in aggressive voices. And so I was pointing at the bear saying, no, no, no. (laughs) And then the bear would pull its paw back and I would say, go 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 in that moment. So the bear and I went through this series of no no nos and go go goes about 3 times. And who knows how well I was, you know, speaking in monotones. Everything was unfolding in the moment and
2: sounds like you were doing pretty good. Yeah, yeah thanks. Thanks. Well. You.
3: <laughs> yeah, this is so far, so far. And so eventually the bear kind of looked over his shoulder and disappeared into the bush and he was gone and I turned around and my brother had pulled out a camera like he thought he was going to take some kind (laughs) of picture and he was just standing there shaking (laughs) and couldn't quite get to the shutter (laughs) exactly exactly and I somehow had some wits about me and I said the bear could change his mind and come back so we need to get out of here sure enough there was a trail nearby we got on that trail And it turned out to be a couple hundred yards away from our campsite. And we went back to the campsite and we both responded very differently to the trauma of the event. My brother started a fire and had these giant branches in it like he was going to brandish them as torches in case the bear came back or whatever. Defenses. Yeah. From the adrenaline rush, I don't know, and everything, I reacted like a child who'd gone through like a burned or something. I crawled into our tent and I crashed, (laughs) totally went to sleep, fell asleep, and we still had a couple days left in the back country, and (laughs) did you make it
2: through your last day? We made it through our last couple days, so yeah, we're still here,
3: yep, exactly, exactly, and I learned a lot from the mistakes that I made. In retrospect, I thought about it, and it was like, You know, this was a young bear, some new backcountry hikers, campers. (laughs) And the three of us kind of came together into the situation. And I think all three of us learned some important elements (laughs) from that particular day. (laughs) And I think that I carried that forward, you know every day afterwards in my encounters with bears i'll
1: bet
2: you did so leo of all the years i've known you i have not heard this story or at least uh, maybe i've heard an abridged version that uh, i filed away some time ago but for you uh, this was not an experience that drove you away from yellowstone like that's way too dangerous way too sketchy i'm never going back again it's maybe more the opposite it was the
3: opposite exactly
2: more like i want to be in this place after that yeah yeah Definitely, it helped me get in touch with
3: how Yellowstone in particular is a space in which you're living in the moment and you're connecting with nature on this deeper and more... Expansive level, and yeah. this moment was a jolt into that. And then I continued to come back and do backcountry trips into Yellowstone after that. Had amazing experiences with bears after that, which were not <laughs> as scary as that particular one. Yes, <laughs> not as, close, yes, encounter not as close. Really good encounters, in fact. Aww. And did that for a number of years until so I was still working in higher education, but. Eventually, my love of Yellowstone became so strong that I couldn't bear to be away. So I quit a very good paying job and had a paltry amount of savings and decided I was going to move to Yellowstone National Park and network with people if I could and try to find a way to be in this place that uplifted me. In spirit and in heart and everything like that. Absolutely. Yeah, so in 2010, I did that, and... Through smoke and mirrors, tricked a number of people, and I got hired into various <laughs> positions. I started off with a, what was the Yellowstone Association initially, yeah. educational partner to Yellowstone National Park. Right, and now, uh Yellowstone Forever as they're yeah, known today. Yeah. that they're known as today, exactly. My first season, I worked out at the Lamar Buffalo Ranch. Started there in May of 2010, and it was there that I got immersed into wolves. We had two wolf packs that were in the area. Over here in Slough Creek, there's the famous 06 female who with 755 and 754 founded the Lamar Canyon pack right in that area. That was their first denning area. And then Lamar Valley and the Lamar Buffalo Ranch is over to the east on the other side of Lamar Canyon that we can see straight out from us. And over in that area was another pack called the Silver Pack. What I came to find out later that's really interesting is Try not to jump all over the place here. But eventually I started working with people like Nathan and Jim Halfpenny doing research in the area of wolves. Jim Halfpenny and I actually started the Yellowstone Wolf Family Tree. We approached Ancestry.com and got special permission to put a non-human tree into Ancestry itself. And started that in about 2016. Today, it is the largest and most unique family tree on Ancestry.com. We've got more than 800 human guests who are accessing the life stories, the genealogy, the photographs, relationships of more than 1,300 Yellowstone wolves from the time of the reintroduction in 1995 to the wolves you see on the landscape today.
4: Today, the trail, as traveled, is being recorded a few feet from a Wolf Den in the Lamar Valley of Yellowstone National Park and I've been working on a series for a few years now where I try to facilitate conversations and step back as the producer and I'm very very happy to be doing that today with Dr. Nathan Varley who is the co-founder of Yellowstone Wolf Tracker. He is also an ecologist and we're here with his colleague and friend Leo Lecky. I'm going to hand it over to Nathan now.
2: Yeah we did a bit of wolf tracking here this afternoon this is a den site that we'd watched for a while in the spring a couple of years ago being used by a very prominent wolf 907 from the junction butte pack who is still around and still the pack leader today but we watched her for many hours here over many days during the active denning season so pups piling out of the hole and playing around and adults coming and going amazing observations and i've always wanted to walk back here and this is the first time and leo's always wanted to walk back here and in fact tried a while ago and couldn't find this den so we knew it would be difficult to actually find it disguised here in the sagebrush and snow covered and whatnot but we found it found it by a bit of wolf tracking so what do you think leola describe this den and and what your impressions are of the whole thing Well, we've got
3: a den here that 907 dug and gave birth to pups in. We're thinking it was 2021, and a lot of wolf watchers were able to see this particular den. Due straight north from us is the road that cuts through Lamar Canyon, and there are a number of pullouts over there, and the watchers were able to set up and kind of Look right over here with their spotting scopes. This den is really interesting. It's so too yeah this vertical hole that's going straight down here almost looks like what you would think would be a badger hole but much much bigger <laughs> and definitely decides into
2: a uh, into a little cavity it down does there, yeah
3: it? down where that snow patch is down there you can see that there's a cavity down there we also found another entrance to the den over here just about eight feet away this looks like it might have been the regular den entrance yeah, to yeah. the den, right mm-hmm. here, wouldn't you say?
2: I think so. More of a yeah. more of a horizontal uh, entry into the below the soil.
3: Exactly, and, then, and this would be the easy way for the pups to come out and onto the apron of the den.
2: Exactly. I like yeah. uh, having a fresh layer of snow on top of it because we can see some pretty fresh ermine tracks. Yeah. short tail weasel, which is common in the grasses and sagebrush around here, and it literally went right down into the den. It sure uh, did. Over to that snow patch you mentioned seeing in the vertical hole, yeah. and made tracks on top of that snow. Yep. <laughs> so it explored around underground, uh, which is not uncommon for a weasel who's looking for
3: rodents. Yep, exactly. Beautiful. 907, a little more information about her. She is the oldest wolf in Yellowstone. National Park. She was born in 2013. We're of course in 2024 right now as when April arrives she will be 11 years old. So she is the oldest known wolf right now in Yellowstone National Park. Long time. For a while she traded off her alpha status with her sister who was 969 and the two of them traded off what we would call alpha status yeah. or Co- alpha leadership le- like behavior but she has always been kind of the rock around which the pack has coalesced over the years through all their through all the trials and exactly you know tribulations that they've gone through she's been the one steady force that's yeah. there she's the matriarch today and yeah she's an amazing wolf i remember back in boy It was when she was a yearling, 2014, my first experience with her. To the south of us is Specimen Ridge, is this amazing, massive rise of land that basically borders the south edge of Little America here, but also Lamar Valley to the east of us. And it was mating season, February of 2015, they were yearlings. And she and her sister came down from the top of Specimen Ridge, side by side, moving quickly to answer the calls of male wolves that were howling out here in Little America, what is also known as Lower Lamar Valley. And they came down as this pair, just side by side in this beautiful, symmetrical kind of movement together and I was just captivated watching the two of them and followed the two of them ever since. <laughs> yeah. That's
2: great. Yeah. So Leo that must have been close to the time that you came on board with Yellowstone Wolf Tracker and we hired you away from whatever educational work you're already doing in the park yeah. to come guiding and wolf tracking with us which is I think one of our greatest periods of just being successful as yeah. as a business operation and really acquiring our identity as a, a group that does education and does the advocacy. So, you know, it's good to see you come back to Yellowstone, but uh I don't know, reflect for a moment on your time with Yellowstone Wolf Tracker.
3: Yeah. You and Linda decided that, you know, I was worth taking a chance on <laughs> and I think I'd done a little bit of guiding with uh Jim Halfpenny prior to that yeah, and I'd definitely. done a lot of work with the Yellowstone Wolf family tree. Yes. And I was building my knowledge base about wolves in general, so I was able to tell people you know who we got whom and things like that in a <laughs> in a way story. that not a lot of people can do yeah, in sure. the park today. So I mentioned seeing you know nine sixty nine and nine o seven in two thousand and fifteen a year later, you hired me okay. in two thousand and sixteen yeah. yeah that was an amazing amazing experience i mean i became immersed in wolves and the knowledge of them and the programs that we offered and the speakers that we brought in the yeah. experts in various areas and I was with you for almost four
2: years yeah yeah, yeah. what a great period yep. And you mentioned all the parts of the programs which we still do today which is just really get people with locals and experts so that they can have a richer experience have that educational experience that regardless of what they see and find with the wildlife they still come away knowing a lot more yeah. about it at the
3: yeah. One thing I would mention also is in 2016, I was approached by a number of guide companies. Wow. And so a number of them were interested in having me guide for them. But it was specifically the educational work that you and Linda were doing and the type of company that you had that really focused on the ecosystem and the interactions and the educational piece of it that drew me to you oh fantastic
0: well
2: we were the fortunate ones to have you for those four years and yeah we're just really excited about uh having you come back to yellowstone and just be a member of this community again for all your contributions well coming out here and joining
3: you today and coming to 907's den like this and you know seeing this amazing wolf in the Yellowstone ecosystem and being at her den area is a nice welcome back for sure this is great
1: it was while we were living internationally about 11 years ago that Explorer Maps first started when Chris and his brother Greg decided to join forces and bring the maps to the whole wide world Hi this is Vanessa, Chris's wife. Each map is a labour of love and I am lucky enough to see them all grow step by step from the early research and planning stages onto a large white piece of paper through penciling, inking and finally seeing the real magic happen as Chris adds the colour. As each one reaches the end phase I get to examine them closely in the hope that I spot any unfinished bits before Chris sends them off but there's always new illustrations to see every time. I love going to the Missoula Warehouse when we're in Montana to see each unique map on the incredible range of products that Explorer Maps now has. Having lived away from home and families for the past 17 years, our aim of connecting people and place is very poignant to me, and for that reason my favourite maps are Flathead and the Maasai Mara because these two places are central to our extended family gatherings and where we have made the best of memories which map will you get to help you treasure your own special times please be sure to use the promo code mandela for a discount when you visit explorermaps.com
2: this is dr nathan barley i am co-founder of yellowstone wolf tracker Lived in the park my whole life, and I'm here now, walking down the slopes into the beautiful stretches of the lower Lamar River Valley, looking over an incredible landscape, and I'm I'm seeing kind of a black and white landscape because of the weather, and it's really just kind of monochromatic uh, because of the incoming weather and the approaching dusk. So it's cold, it's well below zero, and I'm walking back with Mandela and Leo Leckie, who is an educator, an advocate for wolves, and talk about your time as an educator on the topic in Yellowstone Park first. As I think I mentioned
3: previously, you know, my first real immersion into yellowstone and wolves in particular happened in 2010 where i lived at the lamar buffalo ranch from may to september that year and was bookended by two iconic packs the lamar canyon pack in the area we're hiking through right now known as little america and then the silver pack over in lamar valley That was my first initial experience with wolves, and I was immediately enthralled. Soon after that, I ended up working at Mammoth Hot Springs at the Albright Visitor Center in the bookstore there. And I lived at Mammoth Hot Springs and worked there, and tourists would come in to... The bookstore on a regular basis, ask about wildlife, ask about the books we had. Invariably, many of them will ask about wolves and I started telling stories about my experience, what I was experiencing here in the Yellowstone ecosystem with wolves, and I would watch their reaction and watch how their eyes would sparkle. And they were totally captivated by, you know, the sharing of the stories of these wolves. And that just further excited me and made me want to, Go deeper into the life stories of wolves and the importance of storytelling and what that means for really sharing wolves beyond just. A, a
2: oh, I right see that. Edge. We He's do coming, have a bison yeah, a right in front of, of us,
3: and they are watching us and one has intently. A
2: on its back. Yes. <laughs> So we could probably just go on the, the two boys the opposite side yeah
3: so good more. idea we'll kind of give them some space
2: yeah we're seeing two big bull bison checking us out yeah expecting us hiking along here and, then, uh-uh. and then here we are yep and here they are <laughs> but, uh, i think we're at a good safe distance and uh i doubt uh they'll be coming our way yeah
3: they are keeping an eye on us uh
2: and our evacuation plan is if they do come at us, we're going to get the heck out of here. <laughs> That's
3: right. Exactly.
2: You know, because you can run away from herbivores. They're not going to really chase you. They're just chasing you, getting you out of their space. Yeah, uh, exactly. Predators, you know, bears, different story. <laughs> yeah.
3: And you can see they're relaxing a little bit more as we're getting further away. I think so. Yeah. Like
2: we've tipped our hand that we're yep. like, we're going to walk off and yep. not go towards them. That's uh, what they want to see.
3: And the typical male scenario where you've got two that stick together, yeah. you know, when they're older. Um, this is still recording.
4: Yeah, the, Okay. Was a really nice radio moment. Oh, good. Good, yeah, good. Like, oh, there's the bicycle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For those wondering, if we're in the field, we are.
2: Exactly. <laughs> Leo had talked a bit about his formative experiences in Yellowstone as an educator and how inspiring the landscape was and the story of individual wolves as a tool for teaching and I'm curious now Leo, you know, you've expanded what you've done where you've gone with this to well beyond Yellowstone and you're currently working with Wolf Connections to bring wolves into the classroom which I've found to be A really important step in wolf conservation. So uh, getting to know the real wolf will really help overcome the misinformation that stands in the way of true conservation of the species. So tell us a little bit about the work you do with Wolf Connections and getting teachers engaged on the subject.
3: Back in 2019, I was living in California, and I had met the founders of Wolf Connection as a guide through our program.
2: Okay, so we find another really interesting ah. thing. This is a meadow vole. I think it has died on the surface of the snow. It's interesting, all of its tracks kind of wind around yeah. here and end up just right here, but oh yeah, it's frozen. Yep tapping sound wow oh my goodness but yeah uh, meadowolls have a pretty big body and their feet are really big but that tail is very short right compared to the size of its body and maybe this guy kind of got caught out onto the surface uh, yeah. for a little too long froze to death and died that's uh that's sad yeah
3: favorite food source of all the wild canids in Yellowstone Absolutely. from foxes to coyotes to foxes for sure
2: absolutely in fact I think I've seen more meadow voles being crunched up by a coyote when I've been watching coyotes hunt them than I've actually seen meadow voles like scurrying around in the grass yeah yeah (laughs) but there's tons of them out here and therefore you know an abundant food source for coyotes as well
4: so I guess that kind of gives everyone listening an example of how cold it is out here yeah If, if this animal potentially froze because it was exposed
2: that's a possibility i mean it would be interesting to learn more about its tracks and how maybe it's caught out above the surface of the snow for so long and got to an area where it had no escape which is to go underground where it's a lot warmer maybe that's what happened with this guy and he got hypothermic and did a lot of circles and ended up just wow really interesting that's though. really interesting i've never seen anything like this I know, before i need too, a picture too. yeah because <laughs> that is fascinating. It causes might not have been an accidental death, so much of freezing out here on the surface. There could have been something wrong with the vole, I suppose, Yeah, uh, to, to cause it to do that. But it's not like I've encountered this in the winter a bunch. Yeah, backtracking on the track, Good. Do some backtracking of the vole tracks to get to the bottom of this mystery. It reminds me of the stories of humans that go crazy because they're so cold and they exhibit all kinds of insane behavior before they die. but Maybe this is the vole version of that. You did find yeah. a hole? Mandela's backtracked the vole <laughs> all the way to its hole. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That far away. Why didn't it return to the hole? You wonder if it did get hypothermic and got disoriented and coordinated, yeah. as humans do. Yeah. But
4: just thinking about it, it's been such a know. mild winter that animals like that often they have that layer right next to the earth where it's you know
2: they're not too yeah exposed to it all, yeah. usually like they're, they're cruising around under the snow and that's perfectly warm on a day that's minus 20 yeah or 30 exactly. or whatever it probably died yeah. uh, whatever temperature it was when it froze to death Who?
4: Wow. So, uh, in one segment, we we, we we bumped into two bison uh-huh. as we walked along wolf tracks and then ran to a frozen critter.
2: Yeah, a possible wildlife victim of the extremely frigid temperatures. And I bet out here, yesterday morning, it might have been the minus 30, yeah. minus 40 range. Exactly. And mm-hmm. that could have done it. You make a real good point about the snowpack not being yep, normal. Exactly. So that Snow when this weather country. comes, it's just much less margin for error. Yeah. So wow. you were in California. You were in California.
3: <laughs> so met the founders of Wolf Connection as a guide for Nathan at one of the programs. And they introduced Wolf Connection at the time and talked about it. Wolf Connection is a wolf and wolf dog sanctuary and human empowerment program. So provides what's called wolf therapy for humans, As you know, humans of course have evolved from apes, but for tens of thousands of years from the early peoples, we have lived side by side with wolves and learned a lot of our societal and social structures from the examples that neighboring wolves would set. So I ended up in California would probably have never left Yellowstone, but I uh, met someone in a program, fell in love and went to Los Angeles of all places from Yellowstone. <laughs> quite a change um, from yeah, Yellowstone. quite yes. a change indeed. And it was there that I remembered that there was this organization that was doing some pretty amazing things with humans and captive wolves. And wolf dogs right. and reached out to them and eventually they hired me and became part of the program group within wolf connection a lot of it is offering programs to primarily underserved youth within Los Angeles County in particular. You know Los Angeles County is the most populous county in the world with 25 million people. There are a lot of youth in the area who, because they are underserved, have undergone, for various reasons, a lot of trauma in their lives. Not unlike these captive wolves who have been bred by humans are illegal to own in almost every state. So much so that when a human ends up owning one of these captive domestic wolves or wolf dogs, invariably they are much more like wolves than they are like dogs. And so they have a desire to be with a pack and to be with others like them. Mm -hmm. And being in a human constrained environment Produces bad expressions for the wolves, escaping, eating the neighbors' chickens, getting yeah. in fights with the dogs, Lots and when that control. happens, yeah, they invariably come to the attention of animal control. Well, because they are illegal, once animal control finds out about them, they only have 72 hours to live before they're euthanized. <laughs> that's that's your when steps in exactly and- as yeah. a, as a sanctuary, we offer. These wolves and wolf dogs, a place to live, and we provide an environment for them that allows them to connect as a pack with other wolves and create an environment for them that allows them to thrive. So they have their own trauma that they've gone through with being owned, let's say, by humans. They also come from roadside attractions and fur farms. But despite the best intentions of humans, you know, these wolves and wolf dogs are more wolves than they are dogs. And so by living with humans, they have undergone trauma and work their way through that and have life lessons and life stories just like the wild wolves of Yellowstone that are shareable and relatable to young humans and adult humans alike who are going through their own issues and traumas oh, and wow. that's a picture. little bit of what I've evolved into today.
2: Oh, that's good. yeah. Oh, that's fantastic.
3: At the end of our multi-week programs we do what's called a graduation hike. This is you know the culmination of the students who participated in this program doing a, a pretty significant hike climbing you know thousands of feet up to the pacific crest trail overlooking the wolf heart ranch which is a 165 acre sanctuary and there was one program where the winds were just incredible. It was the Santa Ana winds of California, we're talking, you know, 40 to 50 mile an hour gusts, and pretty intense for not only the humans, but with these graduation hikes, there are wolves that would accompany us, that would be on leash, and there were two wolves on this particular day, Ryder and J.C. And J.C. was still learning to be around humans and having come from recently an environment where he was experiencing some trauma and working his way through that gradually and going on these hikes but being at the back of the hike behind the humans was beneficial for him so riders in the lead but the winds were so strong that they unnerved rider and He didn't want to continue. Interestingly, in that moment, JC, he realized that his companion rider was in a moment of need and he stepped up he led his handler to the front of the group and he naturally assumed the lead of the group and took over for rider and led us up continuing the hike on upwards. so that was wow. pretty cool that is
2: pretty neat yeah yeah took the yeah. lead you're listening to The Trail Less Traveled. And we're traveling trails in Yellowstone Park right now. The temperature is now well below zero, so it's cold, and we're 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 trying to get back here <laughs> fairly <laughs> quickly. <laughs> but we stop and reflect for a moment. We've been talking a lot about wolves and the profound effect wolves have had on Yellowstone and have had on people here. And I would just start off by saying that. In this context, I've really seen a lot of people, as you have too, Leo, really be moved by their experience of watching wolves in Yellowstone. And I feel like for them to have the experience, remember it always fondly, and then become a voice for the wolves themselves... So this idea that the biggest conservation obstacles out there today might be misinformation about wolves and To have people kind of see the true wolf, embrace it, and then become an advocate for it over time is just a fabulous story in conservation, really. And maybe you've seen sort of similar things. Uh, You've had various work uh, with wolves, both in sort of more of a captive, interactive situation with people uh, that have experienced trauma. And you've been out here in the wilds of Yellowstone seeing wolves in their most primordial original state affecting people as well that are just observing them from a distance so anything come to
3: mind yeah you know in addition to the myriad individuals who come here to places like Yellowstone and get to experience wolves in the wild there are places like Los Angeles California where we have these youth who are coming and participating in these programs, getting to know wolves better through the process. They're engaged, they're understanding, they want to dive deeper. For example, we have a number of students who've gone through our programs who were so taken by uh, wolves and the wolf-human connection that they actually became staff members in our program. So they nice. were they graduated yeah. from our program and went on to become staff members. They're staff members today and some of our most wonderful spokespeople that we have for our programs. And wolves, they're resilient, and they keep on surviving, and in that survival... They have life stories that people get to engage with on different levels, yeah. and it's that engagement in the stories of the wolves that draw these people in and are really bringing people. I mean, apparently the tolerance of wolves in Montana is changing. That's uh, right, brand yeah. new
2: news for Montana. Exactly, that, uh, the, the state's own surveys is showing an increasing tolerance for wolves on the landscape among the general public and even among you know stakeholders on different sides of the issue it's like oh maybe these things aren't too bad after all Yep, which can really help their future yeah well fantastic leo this has been fun it's been great thank you
3: very much this has been a great adventure today it's been wonderful being on the trail
2: with you both (laughs) thank you likewise
5: Namaste, Missoula. Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, the Trail 1033's locally harvested adventure radio series. The show premieres every Sunday night at 6 Mountain Time, and you can stream it live online at trail1033.com. The show is also a podcast, although you'll notice it doesn't include the music. So please try to listen to the show when it premieres live on the radio for the full experience. You can learn about the many ways in which I'm working with Explore Maps in order to connect people and place through art, history, culture, conservation, and storytelling. ExploreMaps.com I would like to extend my gratitude to my new friends, Dr. Nathan Varley and Leo Lecky. I encourage you to go to Yellowstone National Park and reach out to Yellowstone Wolf Tracker for an experience of a lifetime. That's it for this week's adventure, my friends, in Missoula and around the world. But until next week, please remember, conservation is not a spectator sport. Living in Missoula is a privilege. With privilege comes responsibility. Get informed, get engaged, and speak up on behalf of wildlife and wild places. If you think you're too small to make a difference you've never spent the night with a mosquito.